Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Are you ready to receive from the Lord this morning? All right, so am I. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Uh, all right. Well, it's been a while since I've uh, been here at your church, and uh, I just want to thank Pastor Joey and all of his team for having me. We had a great uh, prophetic training here uh, not too long ago. I don't remember when. I don't have my admin with me to tell you when it was. Tell me when it was. <laughs> if I didn't have her, I'd be lost. Um, so, uh, fire school is, uh, it's an online platform and it's an in-person platform to train and equip the saints to do the work of ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to, you can register for free. It's at fireschoolonline.com, fireschoolonline.com. I've got my bodyguard with me, Mr. Caleb Holseth. Everybody say Hi. He makes sure nobody takes my lunch money. Very coveted money is my lunch money. <laughs> and we, uh, we, this is an exciting year for me and my team, the Conquerors, International Strength Team, because this year in March when we went to Pakistan, we had over 168,000 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. And that, that trip put our team over the one million mark. Yeah, in the last 15 years, we've seen one million people come to know Jesus Christ. One million. And uh, we're going to Pakistan tomorrow. I'm leaving for Pakistan again. And we are going to be ministering to their estimating crowds of upwards of 200 plus thousand people. There is revival going on in the Middle East right now. The Spirit of God is moving. Where it is darkest is where the light shines the brightest. And the Lord is not playing games in these end times. And so we are going to go over there as many times as we can. And we're going to help bring in. We're believing for one million souls in 2022. <clears throat> what took us... 15 years the first time we're believing them for uh, a million souls just this year, 2022. Um, so what I want to speak to you about this morning is how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because our nation needs a revival. It's not optional. If we, if the church does not stand in her authority and exercise her authority, we're going to lose our culture and we're going to lose our nation. Because if God were to come to the United States of America right now, he would not go straight to Washington and say, what have you done with, with, with my nation? Because Washington doesn't have the authority. He'd go to the church and say, what have you done with my nation? Because the church has the only authority, and therefore, whoever has the authority has the responsibility. 
The church is responsible for the culture of this nation. And the church is not going to be effective against the culture of the world or the power of the evil one without operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sermons alone, worship services alone, theology, doctrines, isms, and anities are not going to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Only the power of the gospel is going to reach this world for Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. If you want to take cities, you're going to have to have heavenly power. You're going to have to have heavenly power in order to reach cities, big, small, and in between. And I love the heart of your pastor. I love his obedience to follow after the spirit of the living God and to do what the Holy Spirit is asking all of you to do. And that is to take this city and take this region for Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 1, in the Amplified Bible, it says now about spiritual gifts, the special endowments given by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Other translations say I don't want you to be ignorant. And in the Passion Translation, it says, my fellow believers, I do not want you to be confused about spiritual realities. There is a reality that is different from the reality that we experience with our five physical senses. We live in this natural world, but we are not of this natural world, if you're a born-again believer. There are realities in heaven that trump the realities here on earth. And most believers live from earth toward heaven, but scripturally, we're to live from heaven toward earth. Because that's where our citizenship is. I've got dual citizenship. America and heaven. Heaven's my primary citizenship. America's my second. Right? Because God wants to move in this generation. And generation is not age-specific, gender-specific. This generation is anybody who is alive right now. That's his that's gender. So there's no excuses. Whether you're 8 or 80, or in between, God wants to use every one of his believers to accomplish his purposes in the earth. It's not just for the special few, it's for the whole body. In uh, Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, I'm going to read from the King James Version. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Jesus is saying, the word is saying, I gave you salvation. It's not a ticket to heaven. It's not so one day you can go to the sweet by and by so you can bring heaven to earth. It's not for a future thing. It's a right now thing. And he confirms his word with signs, wonders, and miracles. God's got a pretty good marketing campaign. It's called Raise the Dead, Heal the Lepers, <laughs> right? Crush the Demonic, Heal, Save, Deliver People. That's a pretty good advertising, right? Here's what it says in the Passion Translation. Then how could we escape, how could we expect to escape punishment if we despise 
the very truths that give us life. Ooh, man. I'm going to read that one more time. Then how would we expect to escape punishment if we despise the very truths that give us life? Religion is the enemy of truth. Mm-hmm. Jesus never had an issue with the Roman government. He had an issue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? Because they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power. <laughs> See, they were talked a lot about God, and then when God showed up and demonstrated who he was, they rejected him, resisted him, and eventually killed him. Uh, the Lord himself was the first to announce these things, and those who heard him firsthand confirmed their accuracy. Then God added his witness to theirs. See, we have a witness that God ha- and God has a witness, and they're to work together. <clears throat> then God added his witness to theirs. He validated their ministry with signs astonishing wonders, all kinds of powerful miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he distributed as he desired. See, God confirms that he is the way, the truth, and the life, not just by talking, but he demonstrates it with signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. I call it original Christianity, OC. We call it OC on my team. We're going back to OC, baby. Original Christianity. I have preached this gospel across this planet and over 36 nations of the world, and I can tell you that the power of God will penetrate any culture, any demonic stronghold, or anything if that gospel is not only preached but demonstrated. We've had confrontations with uh, imams and shamans and all kinds of things, and, and they do their thing. We've had, we've had e, uh, shamans jumping 15, 16 feet in the air, making a spectacle. Bind that in the name of Jesus, and they're jumping like this. <laughs> the gospel is a power confrontation. There's the power that is at work in this world, and it is the power of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. And that power is not going to go away unless it has a greater power confronted. And that power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. This is in the, now I'm not going to read that translation. Salvation is not just entry into heaven, it's heaven's entry into us. You see, you don't have to have all of the eloquence, you don't have to have anything because you got the one in you who knows everything. I tell people all the time, I know everything in the universe. They look at me, well, that's a prideful statement. Yeah, it'd be prideful if it was based on me. But it's not based on me. It's based on who's in me. 
Because I got the one in me who knows everything. If I need to find out something, I'm going to ask him, and guess what? He'll reveal it to me. <laughs> I could chew on that for 10 years. That revelation right there. You know all things. You just don't know you know all things. Every situation, every problem, dilemma, uh, difficulty that you face, there is a divine solution designed to overcome it. But it comes through the context of intimacy and relationship with the Father, the author of life. The one who knows everything. He knows your end from your beginning. Before the foundation of time, he knew you. He knows every decision you'll ever make. He, he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of time. It wasn't like he was up there and you got saved and he's like, oh, we got one, got born again, got to write that down. No. No, he knows it all. He knows everything. He knows your mistakes, your shortcomings, every time you shoot yourself in the foot. And he sent his son to die for us anyway. <laughs> Woo. So I often say this in um, when, 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 whenever we're doing fire school. Caleb, Caleb knows he's he's been attending fire school uh, very well. We don't serve any milk and cookies in fire school. All meat, pure meat. So if you can't handle meat, stick it in a blender, grind it up, and try it that way. All right. <laughs> But you're about to get 100% uh, heaven, heaven's choice meat this morning. Because it's time for the church to quit playing church and start being the church. You know, they surveyed, they did a survey on how many people in America say they're Christian? And at one year, it was like 70-some percent, I think in the 50s and 60s, and, and I think it's around 50-some uh, percent now or something, something like that. And people are like, oh, but even, even that number is not, is not accurate because everybody has different definitions of what a Christian is. I go to church once a year, twice a year. I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know, you're a Christer. <laughs> Christmas and Easter, right? <laughs> you were born into the faith or what? All these different definitions. But if you gave a survey of how many people say they're salt and light, how many people say they're sons or daughters of the living God, then you'll get a more accurate description, right? But the Bible gives us biblical evidence for a believer. Oh, you say you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you? Oh, really? If you were to go on trial for being a believer in Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a believer in Jesus Christ? And the standard is in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who have believed. 
In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. So if you're up in there and you're on trial for being a believer, I go to church. Nope, not enough evidence to convict you. I prayed a prayer. Not enough evidence to convict you. You got witnesses that I see that person laying hands on the sick, casting out demons. Guilty as charged. Right? You see, the power is in you because the one who has all power is in you. And he wants out. That's why, that's, that's why I think I've, I've, I've spent most of my life lifting weights, getting so big, because I want to give them a lot of room to move around in. You know, I don't want them all cramped up in there. Caleb's giving them a whole kind. Man, God's going to lounge in big time in this guy, man. This is, this is what the Passion Translation of the same scripture says. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. Jesus' purpose for coming to the earth was not to die for our sins. That was not his purpose for being here. Did he die for our sins? Yes, he did. He did die for our sins. But that was not his purpose for coming here. His purpose was twofold. One, was to destroy the works of the devil, hence what the scripture says. For this reason was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was about to go to the cross of Calvary, the most intense spiritual warfare that has ever taken place on the face of the planet, so much so that he sweat drops of blood, and he's praying and dialoguing with his father, and he states during that dialogue what his purpose for going to the cross was. And there was not one mention of sin in the entire dialogue. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. That's the reason he went to the cross. Sin was an obstacle to that reality. You cannot be one unless somebody pays for the sin. And Jesus says, paid for, I paid the debt. Now you have an opportunity to be one with the Father. <laughs> mm-hmm. Keep on preaching. I'm going to. That's what the scripture says. You see, if you're so focused on sin, you're focused on man, which means you're focused on yourself. Oh, I told you it's nothing but meat here. But if you're so focused on him, you won't have an opportunity to sin. Woo-hoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, dude. Amen, sister. I'm taking you on tour with me. <laughs> Telling you what. A Christian's life that's not supernatural is superficial. Uh, ooh, I know, I know. If this stings right here, that's a good thing. 
You know what pain does? Let's you know you're alive. It signifies something is wrong, and it also is a sign of growth. Right? That's why everybody's not walking around with guns like these. Because there's a lot of pain involved. <laughs> Good pain. No pain, no gain. That's right. <sighs> We're going to look at Stephen. I'm going to shatter every religious stereotype that's been programmed into church folks. When I encounter somebody who gets born again, they say, I, have n I wasn't raised in church. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. We got a clean slate to work with right here. We ain't got to un undo all the programming that's been programmed into your brain and your mind and what man's interpretation of who he says he is. <laughs> Acts 6, I like you too. Acts 6, 2 through 5. So the 12 called the disciples together and said, it is not appropriate for us to neglect teaching the word of God in order to serve tables and manage the distribution of food. So what they're saying is, you know, our role in the body of Christ is to teach the word of God. We don't have time for the menial stuff, right? That's what everybody who reads that says, oh, I can't just be a menial. I'm, I'm not a preacher like you. I'm just a lowly servant. That, that's right, the best thing. Because as we see, as we see in the scripture, therefore, brothers, choose from among you seven men with good reputations, men of godly character and moral integrity, full of the spirit of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. But we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and ministry of the word. The suggestion pleased the whole congregation, and they selected Stephen, a man full of faith in Jesus Christ and filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Procurnus, or whatever these guys' names are, Paramemius, Nicholas, uh, proselyte Gentile from Antioch. This is what the Passion Translation says. The 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers and told them it's not advantageous for us to be pulled away from the word of God to wait on tables. We want you to carefully select from among yourselves seven godly men. Make sure they are honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them the, reasonable, the reasonability of this crucial ministry of serving. Crucial ministry of serving. That means if you're preaching from the pulpit or you're waiting tables, it's all ministry. Ministry is serving others. Right? I serve others by preaching, teaching, demonstrating. Right? This is, this is what I'm called to do. This is my office. I'm an evangelist. It's what God's called me to do. It's what he created me to do. My ministry is no greater than any other ministry. And matter of fact, my role in the body of Christ is to train and equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Church is not a spectator sport. You're supposed to do stuff. This is not just coming, this is not like a sports thing where you come and watch the spectacle. Everybody gets to play. 
Because it's not based on your physical ability or mental ability. It's based on his ability in you. And the only, the only part we have to play is the partnership. And in order to partner fully with the Holy Spirit, you need two things. Faith and boldness. And you got to be willing to die. Die to self. <laughs> that will enable us to give our full attention to prayer and preaching the word of God. Everyone in the church loved this idea, so they chose seven men. One of them was Stephen, who was known as a man full of faith and overflowing with the, with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6, 8, it says, Now Stephen, full of grace, divine blessing, favor, and power, was doing great wonders and signs, attesting miracles among the people. So here he had this menial ministry of serving tables, but he was performing signs, wonders, and miracles. You know what? Every person that walks through the door should get, <laughs> should get overwhelmed by the greeters and get healed of whatever they came in with. Right? Because the same Holy Ghost that's in me is the same Holy Ghost that's in you. These signs will follow those who believe. It doesn't say these signs will follow pastors. These signs will follow evangelists. It says these signs will follow those who believe. Are you a believer? Yeah. Well, show me the money. Right? <laughs> I, I, was, I was operating in the Holy Ghost before I was in prison when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. I, I, my name wasn't known. I wasn't a worldwide evangelist. I was just Mike Benson, who was broken at the end of himself. I got born again. I got hungry and humble, and I got addicted to the Word of God. I've been addicted to every substance on the face of this planet, but none of them, there's no high like a Holy Ghost high. I've never laughed harder, had more fun, felt better, and I woke up in the morning and I didn't regret what I did the night before and I still had all my money. I don't want the world's counterfeit. You could not get you could not come in my presence without hearing about Jesus. I would win people to Jesus. We had a, we had a, <laughs> I, I, all right, I ain't got time to go into my whole story, but I spent 11 years in prison because I was a professional criminal, and uh, I was in Lebanon, Indiana, and I was in jail there. That's where I got born again. That's where I got, that's where I had my encounter with the Lord, got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every person that came into that cell block, they got born again. Every one. So much so that the, the, the jailers and the staff there, they took notice of it. And when they would come and they'd go to open a door, they'd tell the control center, open A, Adam block. You know, they'd, they'd have to make sure they knew which, so they wouldn't mistakenly open another block and let guys run free or something, right? And ours was F block, and they called it Frank block. Well, they changed it from Frank to Faith block. The jailers would come, and they'd, they'd come to the door, and they'd open it up, and they'd say, Benson, come here. And I'd say, yeah, what's up? We got this guy who came in last night, drunk driving charge. He's very suicidal. Is it okay if we put him in here with you guys? Sure, bring him on in. 
He got saved, healed, delivered. We were known for our faith. Faith produces results. It's not theoretical. It's experiential. There's, I tell people, we train people in fire school. There's two ways to witness. Witnessing. You can tell people about Jesus. That's biblical. There's no right or wrong way. There's only biblical ways. Right? So you can tell people about Jesus. Tell them the good news of the gospel. That is biblical. Hand them the word of God. Hand them tracts. Pass out literature to them. That is biblical. That's good. Or you can let Jesus introduce himself by allowing him to do what only he can do through you. <laughs> That's also biblical, and I've found that it is the most effective way of witnessing that I've ever encountered. One of my favorite stories among the many thousands of stories is Keely. Keely was a young lady that I met in Australia. I've been to Australia 11 times. We've done several tours over there. So we were in between school assemblies, and we were at the mall, and we were going to the Billabong store because there was a certain pair of sunglasses that I was looking for, and I heard they had them at the Billabong store. So I walked into the Billabong store, and we're looking around, and there's this young lady in her probably her late teens, early 20s. She had a pair of shorts on, and she had the most beautiful, most intricate, colorful tattoo I've ever seen. It was on her whole thigh. It was like an Indian head, right? American Indian head. That thing caught my eye, and I was like, that's a cool tattoo. Where did you get that? And I started conversating, and she's telling me, oh, yeah, going over here at this place. Yeah. And as soon as I got near, the Holy Spirit just picked it up right away. New age. New age. I could feel the spirits all over. And I said, uh, my name's Mike. What's yours? My name's Keely. And uh, I said, Keely? I got a word of knowledge. I said, you look like you got everything together on the outside, but on the inside, you're about to lose it. Matter of fact, you're on your last string. And she went, I said, is that right? And she goes, yeah. I said, as a matter of fact, two days ago, exactly two days ago, you gave up on a dream. You had this dream that you've had for a, ever since you were a little girl. You gave up on it two days ago. Tears started coming down her eyes. I said, the reason, you gave, the reason that dream is not coming to pass is because the one who gave it to you, his name is Jesus. Without a relationship with him, you'll never see that dream come to pass. You know what she said to me? How do I do that? Funny you should ask. I led her to Jesus right in a billabong store. Now, I could have walked in there and said, hey, my name's Mike Benson. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Because Jesus wants to know you. I could do that. That'd be biblical. That'd be good. I don't know if it would have been as effective. Because she knew in that moment that she was not encountering the man standing in front of her. She was encountering the man who was in me. Jesus can witness for himself a whole lot better than I can. So I'd rather let him do the witnessing, and I just partner with him and be obedient. We were in um, my family, uh, my poor family. <laughs> my wife is uh, introverted. I'm very extroverted. 
And uh, my daughter's kind of a little in between. She's a worship leader, but she's still introverted. We're, we're in the grocery store one day, you know. Me and my wife, we go somewhere, and I go into any place. I call it scanning. I'm looking around. And my wife is always pointing, are you going <laughs> to? I don't know. It ain't up to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll be over here in the coat section. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're in um, family fair, and we're just walking down the aisle, and this lady comes out of nowhere. And she said, I got to have what you have. And I looked at her and said, well, she says, you got something all over you. I need what you have. And she starts telling me all this stuff. And she's got this abscess, too. She starts bawling. I mean, she just come up to me. So I said, okay, I'm going to lay my hands on you. And the Holy Spirit's going to overwhelm you. I put my hand on her, and she went down. We got like a cleanup in aisle seven here. She went down. She started falling into you know, we were in the baking section where the, you know, utensils and stuff, and, and I had to catch her, and she's going down. My wife and daughter, pff, they're gone. <laughs> gone. They left me hanging. I'm like, this is not looking good. Right? She got totally healed, totally set free, got her born again, and filled with the Holy Ghost right there in family fair. She did not come to an evangelistic meeting. She didn't come to a Holy Ghost service at church. She was just going about her day, and she had an encounter with the living God, who just happened to be inside of me, and I am willing and obedient to let him do whatever he wants to do because he's Lord and I'm not. Jesus is Lord of you, or he's not Lord at all. Your life doesn't belong to you. It was bought and paid for with a price. We don't have any right to our own life because it's not ours. <laughs> getting warmed up, getting warmed up. Messages from the word of God are confirmed by the power of God. Messages that are from men have no power because God doesn't back up men's messages. He backs up his message. All over this country, right now, people are preaching the gospel. No power, no demonstration. You know what's happening? People are becoming inoculated to the gospel. They hear about it, but they never see it demonstrated. Never. Never see it demonstrated. It's theoretical. They pull out their do-do list. List of do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this, do, 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 do. It's all a bunch of do-do. So I call it the do-do list. But they don't reveal the heart of the Father because they don't know it. The heart of the Father is not for you to get your performance right. The heart of the Father is to have an encounter with you and give you life. That's what the Father wants to do with all of his kids. Look, my kids mess up on a daily basis. Yeah, amen, so do I. Not on a daily anymore. <laughs> Because I, I, have, I have forsaken the lie that there's no such thing as walking a sinless life. 
in the blood and the presence of Jesus, you can walk sinless. Yeah, I said that because it's the truth. Whatever Jesus, as he is, as he is, so are we in this world. That's what the scripture says, right? Look that up for me, somebody, so I can, as he is, so are we in this world. Get out your phone or whatever, look up that scripture, and when you get it, yell it up to me. That is the truth. As he is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, above all power, principality, and every name that can be named, as he is right now, so are we in this earth. So if Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, zero sin, so are we in this earth. Yeah, but... There's heaven's reality, there's our reality. If we focus on our reality, we whatever you focus on is what you magnify. If you focus on all your shortcomings, all your, your sinfulness and all that other stuff, your flesh, your patterns of the flesh, do you know that if you're a born-again believer, 99% of the sin that happens comes from your flesh? So what is it? 1 John 4, 17. Can you read it for me? Whatever version you want. In this world, we're like Jesus. We're just like Jesus. Jesus walked a sinless life. We can walk a sinless life. Jesus walked in power. We can walk in power. Right? But if we're focused on our fleshly nature... Because we do have flesh. People, all, I, I hear this all the time. Believers coming up to me, oh, the devil was really giving it to me. He was really coming after me this week. I was really fighting against him. I feel like saying, shut up. That's not you. That's not the devil fighting you. That's your flesh. Most of your problem is with your flesh, not the devil. You get your flesh crucified, then you'll experience true spiritual opposition. It's the desires of your flesh that entice you and lead you into sin. It's not you, who you really are. When you leave this earth, a.k.a. die, your spirit leaves this thing behind. Guess what? He who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Your, your identity is totally wrapped with Christ. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see sin. I'll never forget, I was going to go preach. It was, this was years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago. I was going to this big, biggest place I've ever preached at before. And I, I had messed up royally the night before. What did I do? None of your business. I missed the mark. That's what sin is. You miss the mark. What's the mark? Jesus' perfection. In my own strength, I'll never make it. In his strength, I'm, at, I'm in it already. So are you. I was going before the Lord, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, Lord. And he says, do what? I, how, how can I do this when I just messed up last night? What are you talking about? What do you mean, what am I talking about, Lord? You know everything. You see everything. What do you mean? You see, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, son, when I see you, I see my son. You're wrapped in Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. 
Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to not just have it up here, they need it penetrating their heart. There's so many in here today who feel defeated, a victim, that life is just happening and they're just going along for the ride. No, you make life happen. All right, all right. Mark 16, 19 through 20. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord was working with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. See, when you preach his word, he, he, he's like, yep, that's me, that's my word. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna confirm that. When you're preaching man's doctrine, he's not going to confirm that. <laughs> Passion translation. After saying these things, Jesus was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere as the Lord himself consistently worked with them, validating the message they preached with miracle signs that accompanied them. Heaven's message is backed up by heaven's power. John 10, 37. Jesus himself, this is Jesus, the son of the living God, God himself speaking to the Pharisees. In John 10, 37, he says, if you do not, if I do not do the works of my father, that is the miracles that only God can perform, then do not believe me. Jesus, he says, if you hear me but you don't see the works that's accompanying it, don't believe me. <laughs> Jesus proclaimed the gospel and demonstrated. He demonstrated the gospel without proclaiming it 36% more than he did proclaiming it. But every time he proclaimed the gospel, he also demonstrated it. This is in the Passion Translation, verse 37 and 38. If I'm not doing the beautiful works that my Father sent me to do, then don't believe me. But if you see me doing the beautiful works of God upon the earth, then you should at least believe the evidence of the miracles, even if you don't believe my words. Then you would come to experience me and be convinced that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. See, when I have encounters with people... Jesus, I listen to what he says. The Holy Spirit tells me something. I say what he tells me to say. The person encounters the Holy Spirit in me. And people say, oh my gosh, you got God in you. Yeah, do you want him in you too? It's real easy. All you got to do is ask him. Just ask him. He'll come into your life. He will rock your world. Rock your world. Yeah, but it seems like ever since I got born again, all hell broke loose. That's because it did. <laughs> Welcome to the club. This is war. There's no Switzerland in the spiritual realm. You're either a victor or a victim. You can't sit this one out. 
You're a pawn of the enemy or you're a son or daughter of the king. I know, I know, I'm preaching the truth. Oh, I love this church. Without the power of God present, there's no validation to the message being preached. I'll tell you one more story. Philippines. We had just uh, conducted, we were in the, the island of, uh, uh, we were in Leyte. And, you know, we were back there, I mean, every, every night preaching the gospel at these crusades. Thousands of people line up, healing people, miracles, a pile of amulets on the platform and, and voodoo stuff all on there every night, 10 days straight. Every night eating fish heads and rice. At the end of the 10 days, you know, we started off, oh, Lord, and, and by, by, heal them, be healed in Jesus' name. We were spent. And I found that the greatest miracles happened when we were at our tiredest and we were worn out because it was less of us to get in his way. So when I feel like physically I just don't feel right, and I'm like, I'm like this is going to be good, Lord. <laughs> And uh, so we got back to Manila. We had an overnight in Manila before. And, and I had one thing on my mind, food. I was tired of looking at my food, my food looking at me. I wanted something American, right? So we found a Chili's. We went to Chili's. We get there. We all get around a table. I got my mango shake. I was drinking that thing. I felt like heaven was manifesting in my mouth, Right? And there's a bar in there, and there's a dude at the bar. And he's an Indian guy from India, and, uh, you know, he looked like a businessman. He had this brace on his leg and this boot with about this much of a, of a sole on it, you know, and something, obviously, he had a crippling thing there. He's with some young lady, and he, he's, he's having a liquid dinner, right? He is he's hammered. He's up there, rawr, rawr, rawr. and my buddy Clint looks across the table at me, Big smile says, hey, Mike, look at, let's go give him a miracle. I said, Clint, you go give him a miracle. I'm eating. <laughs> so Clint goes off, and we're eating. Me and another guy, Larry, we're eating, and we're chowing down. And Larry says, hey, look over there. And Clint's up there. He's got his brace off, got his boot off, got his sock off, got the guy's bare foot all crippled and twisted up, about that much shorter than the other one, all, all twisted. The guy's up there, <laughs> And all of a sudden, Clint's just smiling and praying, and his whole leg straightens out and gets totally whole right there in the bar. Dude was instantly sober, instantly. I mean, supernaturally instantly sober. He's kissing Clint on the top of the head, right? Clint brings him over to the table, sits him down in front of me. I look up at him. The first thing he says to me, I am Hindu. I'm like, oh, gosh. I says, let me ask you a question. What happened to you, first of all? He was a little kid. He got ran over. I says, have you done what you do in Hindu to try to get this? He says, yes, we've left offerings to the gods. We've done all that. And I says, nothing happened, right? You still stayed the same. Yep. I said, the reason your leg is healed and whole right now is because Jesus, the son of the living God, just healed your leg, and the same one who just healed your leg also died for your sin so that you could have a relationship with the Father God. Do you believe that? And he looked at me and he said, 
Yes, I do. I said, would you like to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, I would. And he got born again right there. Yeah. The power of God will penetrate. The power of the gospel will penetrate anything that stands in its way. Anything. Except for a cold heart. Because at the bar, okay, after that happens, I'm like, I'm already full. We already ate. I'm like, all right, we got something going here. Let's do this. I'm looking around. I see a Western-looking guy at the bar. He sat there witnessed the whole thing. Two, two uh, stools down, he's sitting there watching. The whole thing took place. He's sitting there watching. I, I, I rolled up next to him, ordered a Coke. Come to, this guy's from Australia. He's working on the oil tankers. He's in town. I said, did you see what happened and all that? Oh, it's just a bunch of hogwash, man. You know, that was some man. I said, no, that was Jesus, man. And, and I'm, I'm ministering to this dude. He was not having it. Didn't want nothing to do with it. Witnessed a miracle, heard the gospel, everything, didn't want nothing to do with it. That's the only thing that the gospel can't penetrate is a rebellious hard heart. Because you got to want, you got to invite the Lord. He won't force his way into your life. You got to invite him. You got to want it. See, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, you choose. It's your choice. Can't make it for you. You can live a mediocre Christian life or you can live a powerful heavenly life right here, right now. Your choice. Or you can keep going through the motions. Your choice. Another thing I say at fire school is that it's dangerous to come to fire school because then you're responsible for what you know. You're not going to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. He's going to say, no, my bald-headed, bearded son, Mike Benson, told you on this day and this day, and you know. The scripture says, he who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So I'm just going to give you a few keys to flowing in the Holy Ghost, and then we're going to flow in them. One, you got to eagerly desire them. You got to want them. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Passion translation says, but you should all constantly boil over with passion in seeking the higher gifts. Number two, you have to understand that they are always flowing. God has one position, it's on. He's never off. He's 24-7 on. The only thing hindering him or holding him back is you. There's not a time where you want to, oh, I don't know if I should pray for this person. Are they sick? Are they, are, are, are they in bondage? Are they anything? You should pray for them. Because God is ready to heal, save, and deliver 24-7. He's eternal. <laughs> the anointing doesn't come and go. But the parable of the talents. I do impartation services. I might do one here this morning. I'll give you the anointing that's on my life. There's only one requirement. You have to do something with it. 
parable of the talents, right? The one guy buried his talent when the master came home and said, what a wicked servant you are. I gave you a talent. You didn't do nothing with it. You buried it. He took it from him. Who'd he give it to? Did he divide it evenly amongst everybody? No, he gave it to the one who was producing the most results. We all have the same identity in Christ. All of us are equal. All of us are equal in God's eyes. My kids are equal in my sight. Different expressions. Two different expressions. Two different callings, two different giftings. They're definitely going in two different directions. But they're still my kids. We all have the exact same identity. If you're a born-again believer, you're in the family of God, nothing's going to change that, right? We all have the same identity, therefore we all have the same authority, and we all have access to power. The rewards come in on who's getting the best results. What are you doing with what God gave you? I tell you what, I'm working on my heavenly 401k, and I know it's getting fatter every day. And it's going to continue to grow. People are saying, oh, I can't wait for Jesus to get back. I'm like, Jesus, stay. Because <laughs> this is the only shot I've got right here. <laughs> oh, come back, Jesus. Get us out of here. Oh, no, don't come back yet, Lord. First of all, he's not going to get it. He's going to get us out of here for a minute, but he's coming back permanently. Heaven's coming to earth. So we might as well bring it right now. So you got to eagerly desire them, understand that they are always flowing. Um, 1 John 2.27, as for you, the anointing, the special gift, the preparation which you have received from him remains permanently in you, and you have no need of anyone to teach you. But just as his anointing teaches you, giving you insight through the presence of the Holy Spirit about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as his anointing has taught you, you must remain in him being rooted in him, knit to him. Passion Translation says, but the wonderful anointing you have received from God is so much greater than their deception and now lives in you. There's no need for anyone to keep teaching you. His anointing teaches you all that you need to know, for it will lead you into truth, not a counterfeit. So just as the anointing has taught you remains in him. Now that doesn't mean that you don't need any teachers. It's just saying that You'll know if a teacher comes from God because the anointing will bear witness with what's being taught. You don't say, I'm anointed, I don't need anybody to teach me. No, I'm anointed, I love teaching. I love anointed teaching. If you got an anointing in your teaching, I'm in. If there's no anointing, you got nothing to say to me. Nothing. I want tangible stuff from heaven. I don't want any counterfeit stuff. Right? <laughs> the, the anointing is as eternal as you are. Three, the divine flow is love. Every gift, every, every encounter, the core behind it all is love. Love doesn't consider its own Sacrifice lies its life down for somebody else, right? Boy, oh boy, oh boy, has the church culture butchered that word, love. Oh, let's just love them. 
let's just love them through Jesus. It's okay. You can see, Jesus loves you even though you, whatever lifestyle that is sinful. Oh, he loves you anyway. Yeah, that's true. He does love you anyway, but he doesn't love your lifestyle because the lifestyle is killing you. That's not loving someone. If somebody's smoking crack on a daily basis, loving them is not telling them, it's okay, you can keep, keep smoking crack. God still loves you. Here's the, here's the fact. God loves you enough that he wants to deliver you from that thing that's going to take your life and keep you separated from God for eternity in a place called hell that is, exists and it's real. I know that's not a popular message today, but it's biblical, right? People who don't know God will spend eternity in hell separated from the living God. Mm-hmm. 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. I'm going to read it to you in the Passion Translation. The message I preached and how I preached it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments, but to prove to you the almighty power of God's Holy Spirit. For God intended, for God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom, but in trusting in his almighty power. So when you preach the gospel and the power of God is demonstrated and manifested, people know they have an encounter with God. That's what they're supposed to put their faith in, God not the person. So many preachers, charismatic, very gifted, talented, they fall and congregations split. They fall, people fall off, they lose their faith because their faith was in the man instead of the power, right? Huh. I wanted to go off, but he's like, no, 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 no. In his eyes, it is. It's all about me when, when it comes to him. He's consumed with me. One of the things that drives me nuts is God, is this saying I hear among church people. Don't ever say this to me. Please don't. I'm letting you know right now. Forewarned. Well, if God can't use that one, he'll use somebody else. I hate that with a passion. It is the most unbiblical lie I've ever heard. First of all, God doesn't use anybody. He partners with people. People are not disposable. People are the greatest treasure in God's eyes. Far above everything else. Every life matters. Every life has value. Every life has so much value, so much worth that God and heaven paid the ultimate price to win every single person on this planet back to God. People are not disposable. They say that in their religious zeal that oh God will toss you to the side and use somebody else. Such a lie. God doesn't want to use anybody. He wants to partner with you. He wants to bless your life. 
you think of the, the most blessed life you could ever think of, times it by infinity, and you ain't even coming close to the life that he wants for you because he's consumed with you. He loves you so much that his every waking moment is focused on you. Do you know that you cannot, you have no capacity to love others if you don't love yourself? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love others as you love yourself. Not in love with yourself. There's a difference. Don't be in love with yourself, but love yourself. I can't love you if I don't love myself. I have no capacity to do it until I first love myself. I love myself. I'm comfortable with who I am. All the good, the bad, all that. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm not ashamed. I got Godfidence. My confidence is in him, not in myself, not in my strengths. It's a, I call it Godfidence. I, I, I got up in front of a con congregation and said, I am the best evangelist on the face of the planet. I let it hang for effect. And then I'm scanning the crowd. There are those who have poker faces and those who do not. I could see the looks on their face. Who does this guy think he is? Saying he's the best. First thing they did is start measuring. Judgment has to do with measurement. Hmm. First they got a standard of what the best is. Everybody's is different. And then they're lining me up to see if it meets that standard. And to everybody, pretty much the majority, I'm falling short. Well, you're not like Billy Graham or like the uh, comparison, judgment, measurement. It's all, that's all the flesh stuff. Then I said, you know what? That would be a very, very prideful and arrogant statement if I made myself an evangelist. I didn't call myself to evangelize or to be an evangelist. He did. And when he calls me and he made me, he made me the best. Because I'm the only one in his eyes. Because no one else on the face of the planet has the same fingerprint as I do because I'm unique and there's no one like me on the face of this planet. And my father loves me. In his eyes, I'm the best, so I'm the best. And that's the way every believer should believe and think. Because then guess what? You're not worried about yourself. You're fully loved. You're not worried about laying your life down. You're not worried about what other people think about you. I'll, t I'll tell you that this is the truth in love. I'll preface the statement. I could care less what you think about me, good or bad. I'm consumed with what he thinks about me. That's all that matters in my life. And I know what he thinks about me. I know what he feels about me. And it's constant. And it's awesome. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.